Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Well, welcome to uh, church without snow and ice on the ground. That's nice. If you want to get in your copy of the scriptures to James 3, we are going to continue our study in James today. I, um, you know, uh, today's sermon... Uh, the title of it is "Who Gives You Advice," and um, I really, I really don't know how to sugarcoat this, but uh, if if you um, are used to sitting in church and not having a copy of God's Word in front of you, then you are missing the point of church. You're missing the point of what really matters, what really speaks to you, and it's not. It's not some ding-dong who gets up here and can make God's Word sound flashy or cool. Honestly, um, I, I actually bring God's Word down. I get things wrong. And we're going to talk about um, advice and how important it is today. And if I could encourage you, uh, to begin to bring a copy of the scriptures with you. Mine is digital. It's on my phone. It's on this tablet. I do have hard copies. I do have a Bible at home. And, uh, but I've, I have crossed over to reading a digital copy. The reason why I have is because I like to read a lot of versions. I like to read a lot of translations. So I will get in and I'll, I'll read CSB, NLT, NIV, KJV. I'll just read a lot because I just like to hear how the people that translated that Bible, how the, the words that they choose. And so uh, it's like having, you know, 10 Bibles all, all on my phone. And uh, you can download them to your phone so you don't have to have internet. Uh, but I, I, I say this because I think, I think a lot of times when we get into um, this uh, question of wisdom, uh, God's Word is really the only thing that will never lie to us. Preachers will. Uh, people we sit next to will. And they may do it intentionally and they may do it unintentionally. So uh, if I could encourage you, uh, when you come together to worship the Lord, have the one thing that can have power in your life, that will have power in your life. So as we get into uh, James 3, this, this marks the seventh time I've stood in front of you and preached. Uh, the seventh, six times I've stood up here, and it's all been out of James. Uh, James is, I've got it broke up into 12, and so we are kind of, you know, the hill has peaked, and we're starting the downhill on James, but I feel like James really isn't going to kind of be like that, you know, where it peaks, and then you're thinking it's going to get easier after this. I just feel like it's just a continual uphill climb all the way through chapter five, so we're halfway up the hill. How's that sound? And... Um, so in this section, uh, we are going to talk about uh, wisdom. And James has mentioned wisdom before. So I, th I threw down some questions of questions I've gotten as a pastor or a youth pastor or Sunday school teacher or some guy at school the kids know goes to church. 
I threw down some questions that I've gotten. Um, should I date him or her? That's a question I've gotten. Um, when, when should we get married? I've gotten that question. Uh, if, if I uh, get a tattoo, what, what should I get a tattoo of? And uh, where should I get it? I've gotten that question. Uh, uh, how's this outfit look? Uh, how's my haircut look? And uh, uh, how should I discipline my kids? Uh, when, how old should they be when I let them date? These are questions I've gotten. Uh, can I drink a Bud Light be a Christian? I've gotten that question. How about smoking pot? Can I do that too? That's usually right after the Bud Light question. <laughs> um, uh, so really, when the Bible says drunk, what, what, what do you consider drunk? I mean, like pulled over by a cop going to jail, is that biblically drunk? I've gotten that question. Uh, can I live together? Can, can me and my boyfriend or girlfriend, can we live together? Is that, is that okay? Um, college, should I stay home or go away? Uh, should I break up with him or her? Um, wh where do you buy your car at? I've gotten that question. <laughs> Who works on your cars? You know, and so here's, the, here's my point. There comes a point in our lives where we come to the realization that we do not know everything. It falls in our lap at some time or another where we do not know everything and then we seek out advice. We go to somebody or something or someone and we ask. We ask for advice. So where do you go for advice? I asked my daughter this. I was riding in the car with her one time and I said, Tristan, I go, if you need advice, where would you go? And I mean, without hesitation, she said, Mom, I'm sitting right in the car with her. <laughs> and I'm like, and it, it makes sense to me because well, Mom, like, listens. Dad, I listen, but the second I hear the first five words, I'm already trying to solve whatever problem it is. And sometimes it's a conversation that I don't even want to have with my daughter. Like about dating and relationships, my answer to that was always just no. And my wife's answer is always listen and then answer. But she's like without hesitating, she said mom. And so I was like, well, why, well, why is mom so trustworthy? And she said it's because her heart's in the right place. And um, I think you're going to get that from James today. But I don't think, I don't think people have that luxury today. So I got on the internet and I just typed in top, top internet sites for dating advice. These were the ones I got. Ask Polly, Ask Bear, Dear Prudence, Carolyn Hacks, Captain Awkward, top five. None of them have any biblical stance on dating and relationships at all. You could ask them a question about whether or not your gender is solid. You know, was I born this way or can I change my mind? Everything. I saw everything on these advice websites. I think people go to the internet. I do. I think people sit around and watch TV for advice. When I was growing up, it was Oprah, Phil Donahue. Yeah, 
And then, uh, then there was the trash, right? Jerry Springer, which in my opinion was no different than the other ones. He just admitted it. But what is it today? Dr. Phil, the talk, the view, Dr. Oz, yeah, advice on TV. Uh, you could even watch, um, some people get advice from like regular TV shows. I have kids come in all the time to say they saw something on TV and they're like, is that true? Like they start thinking Hollywood knows what's best for their lives. Uh, sometimes you can watch Morning, you know, Good Morning America or, America, or maybe it's late. Maybe it's, you know, Jimmy Fallon or, or Conan or Jimmy Kimmel and you get advice from those guys. So then I thought, well, let's ask, let's find out who really are the top, you know, like, like these guys would be considered wise. Not one Bible preaching pastor made the list. Not one. Not one. My name wasn't up there. Jesus Christ's name wasn't up there. Not one. I found names like Deepak Chopra, Michael Beckwith, Wayne Dyer, the Dalai Lama. You probably recognize that one. Those were names that popped up. So here's what I started to realize. Not only is a biblical view of wisdom not popular, people aren't even looking for it. So now do you understand how important it is to have a copy of God's scripture in front of you this morning? It's a big deal. While all those questions I read in the beginning are questions that matter to us, it's not really the important question. It really isn't. They're all side questions that have something to do with the most important question. And I wrote down what the most important question was to me, and it's this. How do I approach an unapproachable God? That's the question I need answered in my life. In other words, a God that only accepts perfection and will accept nothing less, how can I get to him being imperfect? That's the question I need answered. And, I, and honestly, if you answer that question, all the other questions fall in line. They really do. And what, what the internet and what TV and what daytime talk shows, what they don't get is that wisdom came down and spent 30-something years with us and laid out wisdom for us. And it's recorded in the scriptures. And we can go to it. And we can get answers from it. That's what they don't get. That's what the average Christian doesn't get. Is I, I feel like in the Christian world today, we have an illiteracy problem where people just don't pick it up and read it. And the one day of the week when people should read it, they don't. Last week we talked about watch what you say with your mouth. Well, maybe as you consider, you know, carefully choosing the powerful words that come out of your mouth, maybe you should make sure that your heart is actually plugged into something that's going to power something worthwhile to come out of your mouth. My prayer this morning is not that I have a bunch of people who are smart, but a bunch of people who are wise. 
That's my prayer. That people at work, that your neighbors, that your classmates, that they don't look at you because you get an A on all the tests, but they look at you because there is something about you that makes you wise about the choices that you make in life. That you're known as a wise person, not necessarily a smart person. Maybe I just let a few of you off the hook, like, hey, I, don't ha I can be a dummy, but in God's eyes, I can still be wise. Before I read the passage this morning, uh, let's pray. And let's ask for God's guidance this morning. God, this morning, I love you. And I appreciate the fact that you loved me first. God, thank you for your scripture this morning. God, without it, anything I have to say is worthless. That God, I hesitate to even come up and talk about your word because it doesn't need anything for me to add to it. It's good all by itself. But God, just give me the grace to maybe explain it a little bit this morning, to help us think about it. Lord, reveal a little bit more about who you are. God, we spend our whole lives reading Scripture and trying to fathom how much you love us and care for us, how much grace and mercy you've supplied to us. God, let that come through in your Scripture this morning. God, don't let us listen to the words that are written for us and leave unchanged. I ask that you use it as a tool to reveal who we are, the things about us that need to change. We love you. We pray these in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's read it. James 3, 13 through 18. I'm, I'm reading out of the Christian, Christian Standard Bible for those of you that are always wondering what version I'm reading out of. That, that's what I read out of. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct he should show that his works are done in gentleness. That comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Wisdom was pretty popular in James's day as it is today. Uh, it kind of sets you apart if you were known as a wise old man or a wise lady. Um, the people in the Bible that we most look up to, it was because of their wisdom. Uh, Daniel rose in the ranks, right? Because of wisdom. The one thing Solomon asked for was wisdom. Uh, Abraham, Noah, all of the uh, Minor and major prophets knew that wisdom stemmed from God and it's what would set them apart. But don't, don't miss this. That wisdom originates from God. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, where does wisdom originate 
in some of the people that I hang around with that don't necessarily go to church. Sometimes they say wisdom comes from experience. I've done this, I've done that, I've been here, I've been there. I've got a lot of experience. Therefore, I have a lot of wisdom. Apart from God, experience, it's just an impressive resume. Or a pretty neat sounding bucket list. Sometimes they look at me and they say, I've been through a lot of pain in my life, which brings wisdom. Without Christ, the pain you experience, it just becomes a prideful survival story. You can hear it. Somebody who's been through something, been through cancer, not once do they give glory to God. It becomes all about their own pride and how I survived and beat cancer and became a better person and it's all me, me, me. Maybe uh, somebody says, I got a lot of degrees. I'm wise. Got a lot of education. You know, I got a doctorate in this, a doctorate in that. I'm wise. <laughs> Apart from God, actually how God looks at all of our intelligence is he just says, it's foolish to me. What you guys think is really smart is just foolish. That's a 1 Corinthians How about if you're just the emotional, how about you have a, a really high level of emotional sensitivity? Like you can really empathize or sympathize with somebody. Apart from God, that's just a humanistic self-help book. And you can buy hundreds of them on Amazon. Talk about how you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What, if, what about this? What if somebody has the key to mind and body meditation? Like they can control everything in their body. Like they can control all of it. Like their wants, everything like that. I've, I've got a guy at work that's like that. And I just look at him and I say, you know, apart from having something worthwhile to meditate on, you're just self-centered and egocentric. That's all you are. You're just somebody that says, Look at what I can do. That's wisdom that I, I, I bump into in this world, and it all misses the point. And James starts right off in 13, and he fires out a challenge. And he says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Do you have wisdom? That's what he's asking. Do you have it? Do you have wisdom? Now, a little different than what I have done in the past, which is usually I just go verse by verse by verse by verse. I had a hard time doing that this time because basically I, I came up with three questions that I want you guys to think about as we read this passage today. Do you have wisdom? Well, here's how we're going to check it. Where did your wisdom come from? That's going to decide whether or not you have it. What's it look like? In other words, how does it work out? How's it show itself? And thirdly, how's it end? What's it produce? Those are three questions I came up with that I think show whether or not we have true wisdom. So let's tackle the first one. If you really have wisdom, where did it come from? There are two sides to this coin. One side is fake wisdom. The other side is true wisdom. 
Well, where does fake wisdom come from? Well, you can look, you can look in verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it is earthly. Here's what James means by earthly. You can pick it up and put it in your pocket. It's tangible. What you see is what you get. You can see it, touch it, feel it. That's, that's what you use for wisdom. And that's all you need to solve your problems. It's right here on earth. You know what I call this? I call this MacGyver wisdom. Because MacGyver, just once. Now, I grew up watching old MacGyver, right? Not reboot MacGyver, but old MacGyver. And it seemed like he fixed everything with aluminum foil, some chewing gum, and a battery that was laying around somewhere. Oh, and some household chemicals. You know, some Comet, maybe some bleach. It seemed like he fixed everything with everything he had just sitting at his feet. And just once, just once, I would like Hollywood to get it right. Which is when you come to an impossible situation, you set your butt down in the dirt and you cry out to the only person that's going to have real wisdom in your life. But he never did that. He always fixed everything by everything he had around him. That's fake wisdom. Another thing he says in verse 15 is unspiritual, fleshly, sensual, human, something based out of you. This is what it means. The word in there is actually the word we get psychology. It's called psyche. And it basically is saying this. Your wisdom just needs to benefit you, doesn't need to necessarily concern itself with anybody else. It's whatever you need. And if you don't like it, go find something else that you do like to hear. Psychology today wisdom. Something else in 15, the source, demonic. Well, if you are concerned with just what you can see, touch, and feel, and if it's just your needs and nothing else, well, that's right in line with what Satan wants. You see, he wants you to think that you don't need to really solve the actual problem. You need to just solve all the little side problems. This was his little trick in the Garden of Eden, was to make Adam and Eve think that they had a problem that doesn't, didn't really exist. That they were actually fixing a problem when they were actually creating it. And they didn't solve any of their problems, they just created them. Now that's Satan's wisdom, is to get you to go contrary to anything God wants. Well, where's true wisdom come from? Well, in 15, at the very beginning, it says, from above, heavenly. Well, I don't know about you, I've never been to heaven. Contrary to popular rock songs, I've never been there. It's not something that I can grab hold of right now. So you can see how it's the exact opposite of earthly, right? It's intangible. It doesn't start by me, it starts with God. That He is the primary resource. To the world... When you tell people 
that your wisdom is based on the Bible, they will think you're a fool. And the great thing is, is the Bible will agree with them that the world is going to think you're a dummy because you follow Scripture. That's the 1 Corinthians chapter 1 mentality. And God says it's okay. Something else it, it emulates from, comes from, is in verse 17. Look down in verse 17. But wisdom from above is pure. Its source is pure. You know what that means to me? That means it didn't get mixed up on its way to me. That means when I read the Bible, it's not wrong. No part of it is wrong. It's all right. God will use Scripture in whatever format I'm reading it in to judge me one day. It's never wrong. It's pure. I don't have to mix it with other good ideas that I bump into in the world. I don't have to. It's good by itself. It's pure. 24 karat wisdom. Yeah? That's Bible. 24 karat wisdom. Nothing else mixed in with it. I have a hard time believing that one day this ring is going to rust. But I can tell you right now my ring's not 24 karat. It's got other things mixed in with it, so it's not pure gold. But it's going to one day tarnish and be worthless. It will. True wisdom is from above. It's got the best source. It's pure. Nothing else is mixed with it. Now, apart from James, I'm going to take a sidestep because I think the best source of wisdom we have is the man Jesus Christ. I think he's the best source of wisdom. And to prove it to us, he came down and he hung out with us. Now, somebody would ask me questions about how they should make decisions in their life and I would almost always instinctively go to three chapters in Matthew. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus had this sermon. You've heard of it. Sermon on the Mount, right? Let me give you some things that Jesus preached on, on Sermon on the Mount. Tell me if it's going to answer a few of the questions that I've heard in my lifetime. How do I get into heaven? He talked on that. If I'm a Christian, how should I look like? How should I act? He talked on that. What about obeying the laws, murder, adultery, divorce, divorce, lying, how to be generous, loving your enemies, charity, tithing, prayer, worship, fasting, your money, your possessions, how to handle stress, how to judge other people, how not to judge other people, what's really truth, and oh yeah, in that sermon, he talks about real wisdom. Jesus, that is a source of real wisdom. Another source, and I've mentioned it, I've mentioned it several times, I can't hit it enough, is your Bible. I've got two passages up here that mean a lot to me. I hope they mean a lot to you. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as as to divide your soul, your spirit, your joints, your marrow. It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of your heart. No creature is hidden, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him 
who must give an account. That's a pretty high, that's a pretty high bar for God's Word, wouldn't you say? 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. I know you've heard this. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that no man of God may be complete, equipped for every, so that every man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hey, before you go out and buy a book on parenting, look up and see what this book says about parenting. Before you go out and look up a book on how to handle uh, cantankerous co-workers, why don't you see what this book has to say about handling abrasive co-workers. Before you go out and buy a book on whether or not you should spank your kids, why don't you see what God's Word has to say about spanking your kids? If I'm not careful, I will not get to any more of my sermon because it is a big deal that you read God's Word. Stop looking at it like it's something that you can take it or leave it. Get your face in it and read it. Second question that popped up to me. Where does it come from? True and fake. What's it look like? True and fake. What does fake wisdom look like? Well, in 14 and 16, it says the same words twice over. You check them out. Bitter envy, selfish ambition. Shows up again in 16. Envy, selfish ambition. We all know what envy is, right? I want that. That should be mine. It actually, uh, the bitter envy uh, gives you the idea of something extremely bitter in your mouth or something prickly that you just put your hands on, that you pull back from. That's the envy they're talking about. Fake wisdom looks like that. I always got students in my class and I, uh, it just seems like they're mad all the time about something. And I remember looking at one kid one day and I said, when you come to the end of the day and everybody you bumped into was a jerk, you're the jerk. And I, I remember telling that to him. When everything that you think is a good idea is all about you, that's the kind of wisdom you have. Selfish ambition. You're the most popular person in your world. You're the center of your universe. I always say this to kids in my class. You're a legend in your own mind. That's what I tell them. It's, it, it, the, uh, the term, actually, they want you to think of a politician campaigning for votes. That's the root word for selfish ambition. Somebody going around trying to get popularity, vote for me, vote for me. Both of them are egocentric wisdoms, self-centered, to make sure that you take care of your, yourself first and then worry about other people later, right? So when I was writing the sermon, I had a picture pop in my head. And I watched, I watched Seinfeld when it actually came on TV. I didn't binge watch it on Netflix. But 
I can remember this one scene where this, uh, they thought the building was on fire, and I don't know, if you don't know Seinfeld, then you're just going to be like, that was the stupidest story I've ever heard. But if you do watch Seinfeld, you're going to be like, I remember that. But George Costanza, one of Seinfeld's best friend, this, they thought this room was on fire, and George, like, it's all, it's nothing but like a bunch of kids and a clown. And so he just bolts out, pushes all the kids out of the way, knocks down an old lady, pushes the clown out of the way, and he's the first one out of the room. That's what popped into my head of somebody who thought that was a good idea. Is you're more concerned with you than anybody else. It's the opposition of gentleness. There must be something more out there to offer. Now, how does true wisdom look like? What's that look like? James has a lot. Oh my. Verse 17. We'll just start there. But wisdom from above is pure. We talked about that. It's peace loving. Are you peaceful? Man, I know people that they just want to fight just to fight. I got a kid in my class. He just wants to argue to argue. It doesn't matter what it is. Like the last argument he wanted to have, this is his most favorite thing is, who would win in a fight? You know where I'm going with this, right? Who would win in a fight? And then he, he gives me two things that would never fight. And then he wants to make it an argument. He just wants to fight about something. So one day I asked him, I go, who would win in a fight? A piece of toast or a piece of toast with butter on it. And he turns it into an argument. <laughs> and, the, and the kids know in class that you're probably wondering, are you, do you ever teach? <laughs> probably not. I occasionally sneak it in every now and I trick them into learning something. But the kids knew what I was doing. I just wanted to see him get riled up. I think some people are riled up all the time. Well, Christians here at Tiffin Baptist, that's not us. No, that's not us. You see, you, you need to be wearing referee stripes. Like you're always looking to like diffuse the situation, not make it worse. I'm not going to chase that. Let's go to the next one. I had something pop in my head. Verse 17. Peace-loving, gentle. Gentle. Man, I struggle with this one. Oh, boy, do I struggle with this one. See, I know, I know, I'm, I know my outer exterior when it comes to how I handle people. I know it's abrasive, and I know it's prickly. So I am always trying to watch out. And I know that I can cut somebody the quick when I say something to them. Gentleness. You know, this doesn't mean that you're a pushover, though. A lot of times, if I say gentle, you just think of somebody who, I mean, you can just walk all over them, you know? Like, they're a doormat. Just wipe your feet off on them. You know, that's a Christian. No. Let me, let me give you the two people, I think, that were the most gentle people in the Bible. Moses. Matter of fact, in Numbers it says that above all, he was one of the meekest persons in the Bible. It says that in Numbers about him. Well, let me tell you what gentle Moses did. Came down off the mountain and saw all of his yahoos worshiping a calf. 
So he took that calf and he melted it down and he put it in water and then he said, drink it. Does that sound like a pushover to you? No. I think Jesus was more gentle than Moses. But you know what Jesus did? If you said you were a Christian and you didn't act like you were a Christian, he didn't take that. He'd call you a snake. He'd call you a child of the devil. Twice he went into the temple and cleared it out. Does that sound like a pushover to you? No. Gentle means this. And it's going to take us right into our next word. It means that you've got strength, but it is under control. That means you have all the power to break your foot off in somebody's spiritual gut, but you try and be gentle about it. Gentleness. The word for this cracked me up. The meaning is it was commonly used to a horse. I know I talked about horses last week, so that's why it cracked me up. Is it, it was used for a horse that's broken that you can get on and ride. Gentleness. Another verse that shows up, or another word in verse 17, compliant. You know what compliant means? Submissive. Nobody likes that word, right? Submissive. It's almost like a curse word today. Wives, submit. Submit to Christ. Submit to God. Submit, submit. Nobody likes that word. James tells us that's actually how real wisdom looks. You submit. The word is used commonly in reference to a soldier when their captain says, do something, and they say, yes, sir. That's compliant. How I like to think of it, I like to think of it because of my profession that you're teachable. That's compliant. You're teachable. That means when you pick up God's word and you're looking for wisdom and you read something that you don't like, you're teachable. It can change something about you. Compliant. We keep reading, 17. James gives us a good list, full of mercy. All right, so let me give you a little bit of clue. Anytime you read the term full of, anywhere in the Bible, it means this, to be controlled by. So when it says you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're controlled by it. When it says you're full of mercy here in James, it means you're controlled by it. Now mercy, quick, quick idea of mercy is this. Holding back and not giving people what they deserve. Is that tough? It is. I mean, if, am I the only one that thinks this is tough? Once again, my wife is better at this than I am. You see, when I think somebody needs truth in their life, I think it should be delivered both barrels Hold at the same time, 90 mile an hour fastball, right straight to the face. That's how I am. You're probably not surprised by that, by the way I preach. But my wife, she knows that you can deliver the same truth underhanded and slow pitch, and it still gets there. You see, full of mercy. You occasionally let people off the hook. 
not because you're a pushover or because you're going to compromise the truth about Jesus Christ, but because you love that person and you want them to actually hear what real wisdom is. Verse 17, unwavering. Man, if you want to grab onto something in your life, it's the idea that there are lots of wisdom out there, but there's one that actually is going to keep you anchored. It's going to keep your mouth from spewing out two types of water. It's not swayed when certain people get around you. It's God-centered, and it's right, not necessarily popular. I uh, had one of my students this week say, Hey, Foster, have you uh, seen the giant bee that they found? I'm like, no. He's like, you should look it up. So I got a computer right there in front of me. I, I look it up. And they recently discovered a giant bumblebee that was thought to be extinct. And so I'd been studying this whole wisdom thing. And so I looked at, I looked at this kid and I said, I always like it when everybody who thinks we got here by millions of years is all of a sudden in one little bee, they're proved to be wrong. Like, that bee's not extinct. Now, how do you explain that it's not extinct? Because all of your philosophy said it was extinct, and now it's not. And I mean, I, I didn't say it that long and that well thought out. I just basically said, it's nice to know that what people thought was real truth really isn't. Something else that shows up in 17 that I like, it says, without pretense. Without pretense. That means this, that your wisdom occasionally, every now and then, needs to be sincere. Now, you ask my wife, and I am not sincere very often. I am a goofball, and I act like a 14-year-old kid in a 50-year-old body sometimes. And I know when we get on mission trips and youth activities that I embarrass her, or I embarrass her at restaurants, or it wasn't that long ago we went out and we ate some Japanese stir-fry, and I'm pretty sure I embarrassed her the entire time at the restaurant because I was acting like a five-year-old. But there's occasionally a time in my life when I quit making jokes And it's usually at those times that I realize what a hypocrite I am. That one way or another, God rises up right in front of my face and really shows me where I am in compared to Him. That my wisdom, no matter how, how awesome I think it is, no matter what kind of a picture I paint in my head, that it is always much lower than his. That there's a time in my life that I need to get serious about how I handle scripture and my prayer and my time with other saints, worshiping. That I know exactly where I stand with Jesus Christ. And it's at those moments that I'm thankful. Occasionally, I have to grow up 
and get serious about what really is important in this world. Third question, how does it end? False wisdom gives us something in 14. End of 14 says three words. False wisdom will deny the truth. It denies the truth. You wonder where the Mormon religion comes from? Came from fake wisdom. You trace it back. You want to know where the Jehovah's Witness came from? Fake wisdom. You want to walk into a health and wealth church that makes you feel good every time you walk in the door and walk out the door? I guarantee you they will leave the text behind and the, the Bible will be something that maybe sits up on a podium but's not used. Fake wisdom. If, if I was going to make a religion, a man-made religion, because I'll tell you right now, following Jesus Christ, not a man-made religion. But if I was going to make one, why would I make one like this? About this guy, how he was born and how he lived and how he died and came back. Why would I make something up like that? Why wouldn't I make up something that I would much rather have, like eating donuts? Like the donut religion. Come to my church, all we're going to do is sit around and eat donuts. If you eat so many, you're going to be right with God. Or maybe, you know, we could switch it. Maybe one Sunday donuts, the next Sunday chicken wings. That's ridiculous. Because that's not the truth. The truth is written right in God's word for us, folks. And fake wisdom will deny it. When you deny the truth, you know what happens? Verse 16. For, there, for where there's envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. When you deny the truth, it's chaos. Everything goes. Donut religion, eating wings religion, Unitarian, they all work. Can't we all just have one world religion? I, can't, I, I get completely ticked off. And I don't, I don't need to, because it's just a stupid sticker. But I, I see a sticker on people's bumpers that say, coexist. And they have every major religion symbol spelling out the word coexist. And I'm like, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not. And when it does happen, you know who's going to be running the show? The Antichrist. He's the one that's going to make everybody think there's a one world religion now. Disorder. You put your face in God's word, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to clear everything up. There's not going to be 40 people out there telling you how to live your life. There is going to be one, and he will always be right. He's not in the business of making you confused and crazy. He's in the business of restoring peace in your life. Well, when you deny the truth and it's mass chaos, well, there's a third thing that pops up. It's in verse 16. It's right after, right after disorder. Every evil practice. You know what I said when I read that? Trouble. You deny what's really the truth, and you get yourself so confused that you don't know where to go, 
You know what comes next? Trouble. Wisdom apart from God's Word does not make society better. Uh-uh. Lots of people have tried to make a utopia apart from it, and it ends up crumbling. The fabric of decency unravels. I have so many things popping in my head, I need to not talk about them. Your neighbors, they should be better off because you are their neighbor. They should. Your job is a better place to work because you work there. The people that you bump into at the line at Walmart are better off having stood in front of or behind you because you're there. Because you're the one person that is counter all of that. You know real truth. You don't have this world that's chaotic. It seems like everything that slams against your house, you know somebody's in control of it. And while your life has just as much trouble as everybody else's, you see it differently. People need to know that. James has a short list on the result of true wisdom. God knows what he's doing when he's writing scripture. It's in verse 18. How does true wisdom work out? The fruit of righteousness. You remember my original question? The one most important question isn't, where do I go to college? Do I get a tattoo? Can I drink? Should I not drink? Should I marry? Should I not marry? Can I live with this person? Can I live with that person? No. The real question is, being imperfect, how can I get into the presence of a perfect God who accepts nothing less than perfection? James says that's how real wisdom works out. The fruit of righteousness. How you can be made right with God. And the crazy thing is, is the way he worded this, is it's not just something that just sits inside you. It is something that actually gets handed out. Like bananas at lunchtime. People are getting the fruit in your life. And he even says it, it is sown. I don't know about you, but when you grow a garden and you sow something, more fruit comes. That's what we want. We want a world that embraces godly wisdom and not all the other junk out there. And God put it right in our hands. You know, a lot of times I use this section for marriage counseling. I actually start it here, and then it goes into the next chapter. Like, it starts here, and then I just continue through chapter 4. You know, James's idea starting here in 13, it's not really going to change all through chapter 4. It's all going to center right here. And I always ask couples, how did your relationship, the fact that you are at odds with each other, start? And it's usually because somebody was pouring bad wisdom in their ear. That's usually how it starts. Sometimes it's themselves. I deserve better than this person. This person I'm with, I deserve better than them. And then sometimes 
Doesn't take long for Satan to flick a few that way and pour even the same kind of junk in their ear. It's the source that they listen to. In this section, and I'll close, I'm going to ask you some questions. Where do you get your wisdom from? This morning, how do you need to change where you go for advice? I love it that my daughter rattled off my wife's name when she said, this is who I trust for advice. But here's the deal. As great as my wife is, there's something better. I want my daughter to cling on to God's word. Hold it. How do you need to change where you go for advice? If you're going to ask a person, start asking a person that you know has their face in God's word all the time. They're talking about it all the time. They practically annoy you with it. Start with that kind of a person. I don't know how many people I have counseled and they hadn't been at church in probably two or three months. And so all the only wisdom they are getting are their idiot friends that don't go to church. Last question. How do you need to change the way you respond when God's word gives you advice? I don't know if I've been abrasive like sandpaper today. I don't know how you've taken it today. But if the Holy Spirit has reached inside you and put a bad taste in your mouth or reached in and poked your heart, do not leave today without settling things with the one person you can ask for wisdom and he'll give it to you. I'm going to ask Sandra to come up here and play, give you guys a moment with the Lord. If you would like to come down front and pray with somebody, I'll be sitting down here. I'll even hang out afterwards if that's not your cup of tea. Let's close in prayer. God, this morning, God, forgive us of the times that we take other words of things over yours. God, forgive us of the times that we take your word lightly. God, help us to... Um, clear up our schedule and the things that we do day to day and give time and effort to hearing your wise voice by spending some time talking to you and spending some time in your scripture. God, I ask that you place people around us that have your interests in mind. God, that the people that are around us that nothing want nothing but to harm us and draw us away from you, that God, you give us the wisdom to see that and know the difference between somebody who needs a message of salvation and somebody who's just there to drag us down. God, give us peace about all of the silly questions in our life and help us to stop and settle on the one question that matters, and that is, how can I stand in your presence and be accepted? God, help us to folk on being Mr. and Mrs. Right 
with you and not so much of just getting everything in life right, but just focusing that we're right with you. We love you so much. We pray these in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.